0: Welcome to the Layer 8 podcast, Season 3, culminating with the Layer 8 conference on Saturday, October 8th in Providence, Rhode Island. This season, we'll have conversations with social engineers and OSINT investigators who will tell their stories. We hope you enjoy them. Welcome to another episode of the Layer 8 podcast. We have another great guest for you today. We have Chris Cleveland. Welcome, Chris.
1: Patrick, thank you for having me.
0: For the benefit of our listeners, could you let them know a little bit about who you are?
1: Sure. I'm Chris Cleveland, founder and CEO of Pixim. Pixim makes computer vision and machine learning software to detect phishing pages when unsuspecting users click on them and open them in the browser. So it's actually pretty straightforward. I started the company, built a lot of the core computer vision that we've used to stop all the phishing breaches that we're tracking.
0: That sounds like it's an awesome tool. And I look forward to talking with you a little bit about how that works. But one of the reasons that I wanted to talk to you on here was some research that you had done with your company about a credential breach. It seems like there was a person or a group that was stealing Facebook credentials. Can you talk a little bit about that research and what you did there?
1: Absolutely. So our mission is to detect and stop phishing attacks when they're open and clicked in the browser with that technology. But when we block those attacks, we get access to the telemetry that's loaded into the browser. We see the HTML, we see any scripts that are operating. So that gives us a little bit of insight into what's going on behind the scenes with some of the hacker tools and techniques. Uh, In this case, it became very clear that there was a very large scale Facebook phishing campaign that was spreading very fast, impacting lots of users, and in this case, stealing millions of credentials.
0: And I think I I read in there the way that this breach was starting was that somebody would see that there was a fun video. And in Mm -hmm. order to view the fun video, you just had to log in with your Facebook credentials. So that makes me think, well, sometimes when we see, oh, there's this cute puppy video and just log into Facebook to watch this puppy video. Is that kind of the way these, these types of attacks start?
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. It's that, or maybe it's your friend tag you in in a video and, you know, maybe you were at a wedding with that friend over the weekend, right? So you have every reason to think that, Hey, like this is somebody that I know. So you have that aspect where it's leveraging people's trust, right? So, Hey, I got this note from Pat, right? Pat tagged me in this video. Um, You know, you have the viral factor too, because this is coming in through Facebook messenger. It's not coming in through email, right? So when I, let's say my account is compromised all of my friends are getting messages about being tagged in a video or whatever it happens to be, right? So you have that scale and you have that trust. And it's also just spreading totally outside of email. Like when people hear phishing, the first thing you think of is the inbox, right? But over half of the phishing attacks at Pixum stops are actually outside of email. They're coming in through social media. And this this attack was no different.
0: And I think that's extremely valuable information for people because I think you're right. People do think that the phishing attacks do come through email, and they're probably going to trust something like their Facebook Messenger. They're going to trust their Slack. They're going to trust their, I don't know what Google is calling their Messenger today, but when something pops up in there, it's probably going to be from a trusted person, giving it a little more credibility immediately where somebody's going to click on that sort of thing.
1: People don't apply the same kind of scrutiny they do to these social media platforms professional platforms as they do to email we've been coached for years to be careful on what we click coming in through email email's got all kinds of infrastructure that you know your company's got a secure email gateway you've got advanced threat protection maybe you've got a training program in place but when it comes to information that's coming in from slack or linkedin or facebook there's really no playbook for that for a lot of organizations and for a lot of users and i don't know about you but Most of the communications that I'm doing with my colleagues is not through email. You know, I get like a slap on the wrist when I send out emails these days, right? I'm checking Slack first thing when I wake up in the morning. I'm doing a lot of communications on WhatsApp. I mean, with Facebook, even though it is, it's obviously more personal than professional, but a lot of folks are, you know, you have access, if you you pop somebody's Facebook account, you also have access to probably a lot of their colleagues and a lot of that natural trust. So it's definitely a growing problem.
0: And if we can get into this attack a little bit, I, I think some of the listeners probably like the technical details of it. Some of the things that I was seeing in your blog write-up, if anybody wants to read it for themselves, they can go to the PixumSecurity.com blog, which PixumSecurity is pixm One of the things I was seeing in there is that you noted that they weren't using typical phishing URLs where it is a URL that they might just create themselves. They were using actual trusted URLs, trusted by Facebook. Can you talk a little bit more about how they did that?
1: So these phishing attacks were hosted on a large number of different domains, but what they all had in common was that they were legitimate websites of some sort. Often they were web hosting services. So these are websites, maybe it's like a web builder, you know in the free version of that web builder you have a root domain that is trusted you know so like myfamous.co for example you know weebly.com there's lots of websites like this that tens of thousands of people are using to host their websites so if you're using reputation tools for instance domain reputation tools but you're using a legitimate domain to host a phishing attack it makes it very very difficult to detect that you know and there's a number of just techniques that were very clever that the adversary used here like you're also getting cases where, you know, if you click on one of these links and inspect them, uh, the first thing you see is what looks like a legitimate shopping cart page, for example. Then, you know, after a period of time, a few seconds, the user gets redirected to the actual Facebook phishing attack. So there's a lot of clever techniques that they're using. But yeah, the first and foremost, we saw that these are all hosted initially before being redirected. They're all coming from legitimate root domains.
0: So I think that's interesting that these attackers were using trust in multiple layers, where Facebook itself is a trusted environment. They're using Facebook Messenger, which is going to be a more trusted environment than email. And they're also using some of these trusted URLs, because I think you noted in there that it's not even something that Facebook themselves could block like they do in other similar types of campaigns, because they would be blocking other legitimate
1: traffic as well. That's right. And the sheer number of these domains was just really, really large. (laughs) So uh, when you block one, it's a little bit like whack-a-mole, right? They keep on coming up. And this
0: also seemed to be a situation where the attackers were having some OPSEC issues. It sounds like you do a lot of research in this type of area. And this one probably stood out a little bit due to their bad OPSEC. Can you talk a little bit about some of the things that might've surprised you while you were doing this research and some of the things that you were able to see that the attackers were doing that normally attackers probably hide their tracks a little bit better?
1: Well, in this case, we observed that a lot of these phishing attacks had almost like a copy and paste job done with their HTML. So it's very clear like, hey, there's clearly a pattern here, but we saw that they had open source tracking applications that they were using to monitor the success of their traffic. It's really no different from folks that are trying to sell products, legitimate services, and they use tracking applications to see how many people are coming to their website because these embedded tracking applications were open source. And we could see the tracking IDs, the user tracking IDs in those applications. We could actually go to those open source websites and we plug in the tracking IDs that we were seeing in the HTML. And that's what gave us, first of all, that's really what told us the the scale of this. So on many of these domains, we were seeing millions, um, sometimes tens of millions of of page views, unique page views. So we thought that that was really remarkable. But I think this was a case where, yeah, it's a a really low cost operation because they're using open source tracking tools uh, to save money. But at the same time, maybe they didn't cover their tracks as well as they could have.
0: And one of the things that I really liked and have uh, seen sometimes myself in research that I've done is when they leave some of their own statistics sites mm-hmm. wide open, unprotected. And I think there was a time where these attackers did that and you could see their their statistics wide open to the internet, unauthenticated.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's basically what we're, what we're dealing with here. Um, you know, I was kind of shocked myself that these tools were so easy to see. I mean, I think maybe part of the Part of why we were able to do it is because of the nature of our product. Like our mission again is to detect and stop phishing attacks when they're clicked. We're not fundamentally about uh, threat intelligence and trying to track down the bad guys. This is more just, it, it turned out that by doing that, we had that unique telemetry access. Like typically when these phishing attacks occur, like maybe you put yourself in the hacker's shoes. My mission is to steal credentials. Maybe I'm gonna get a bunch of ad revenue and we can talk about kind of what they did there. But you know, mission successful is I fish these users, they open the page, maybe they don't even know about it, but if they report it, that phishing payload isn't even necessarily gonna be visible. I mean, oftentimes these attacks are very dynamic. So that actual HTML page is very hard to access typically because by the time a user reports it, that HTML might not even be on that server or it might be redirected if someone else tries to access it. So what we found, and not just with this phishing campaign, but with many is that the phishing payload is actually very difficult to access. Because they are dynamic, the content is put up and it's taken down within a very short window of time based on the attack opportunity or the attack window. And when you try and access that, like let's say you want to use, a, you know, if you're a threat researcher and you open this and, you know, kind of an isolated browser environment to detonate it, uh, you might get redirected somewhere else. You're going to get redirected to a 404. You're going to get redirected to a pet food website, but you're not actually going to see the HTML payload. So maybe one of the assumptions that a lot of these hackers make is that, well, yeah, I can use the open source tools and embed them in my HTML because no one's actually going to see the HTML. <laughs> so it just so happened that we were delivering our solution right there in the browser when the user opens a link. So it's a very unique opportunity that we have to see that uh, infrastructure and, and tools that hackers are using.
0: And when you perform a phishing engagement, usually the target is going to be just whoever is receiving the email or receiving the message. But these people were able to amplify it a little bit, I think, because it was Facebook. Did I read correctly that for each person affected, that this campaign then went and also automatically or directly messaged all of that person's Facebook connections with additional links too?
1: Based on the sheer scale of this and based on the APIs that Facebook has to access your your social network, uh, we believe that there was a good amount of automation involved. So it's exactly that. You know, It's leveraging those APIs to just send out those messages automatically.
0: So every so often, we'll be on Facebook and we'll see a, a post from one of our contacts that says, if you got a Facebook Messenger link from
1: me, that's yeah. not
0: real. I got hacked. So is that the kind of thing that you were
1: discovering with this here? Exactly, exactly. It's leveraging the trust of those social networks and the scale of those social networks.
0: And I think in the the blog post, you also had some some numbers where the numbers just seem huge, where I I believe you had 2.7 million hits in 2021, 8.5 million in 2022 so far. Is this a campaign that is probably still ongoing, whether they've rebranded it, changed it, anything like that, where that 8.5 million number is still growing?
1: Yeah, for sure, you know, th- those numbers are, are lower bounds because we're, we're taking a sample of domains that we find, we're looking at the tracking applications and we're counting the number of unique sessions and users. That's just a sample and it's just what we found. Those Facebook phishing attacks that are getting clicked on, those haven't slowed down. So those have continued to turn up. Uh, we're seeing new domains, you know, new tracking IDs. So it's I think the most recent one we saw was last week. So that activity definitely hasn't slowed down and every bit of evidence shows that this is very much ongoing.
0: One of the things that I like to do when I interact with malicious actors, whether that's on the phone or anywhere else, is I try to find out, like, how does this work financially? I've had sometimes when people call me on the phone I, with whatever scam that they're running, and I try to find out, like, how much money are you making from this? I think you had a little bit of information in the blog post as well about yeah. the, the, the money and the how much that they're getting. Can you talk a little bit about that as well?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a bit of a braggadocio culture sometimes among the bad actors, and if they feel that they're sufficiently anonymous, you know, they'll brag about some of their exploits. So, you know, we were hearing, you know, numbers about, hey, every redirect for an American user to a legitimate advertising website, you know, we're netting, what was it, like $15 for every 1,000 users, almost like 15 cents a user uh, per, per impression. Now, that sounds pretty high, maybe part of that's braggadocio, but if you combine that just with the sheer number of sessions that we're seeing from these tracking IDs, that's really, really huge. And I should also just comment right on the financial side of this. There's the credential side of things, which, of course, is, yeah, you know, you get your credentials compromised, attack continues to spread virally. Uh, You can compromise other people in that person's social networks. That's bad. You can sell those credentials on the dark web and stuff like that. But what, this, what we'd see in these uh, Facebook phishing pages is that there's actually another redirect that goes to often a legitimate advertising service. You know, so there's kind of a pay-per-click model here where these folks are not just trying to steal credentials, but they're just trying to make money. And, like, and if you combine the kind of 15 cents per user number with the sheer size and scope of this campaign, you know, we're estimating tens of millions of dollars in ad revenue that this guy scored. So the guy did very well for himself, or this group did very well for themselves.
0: Yeah, I was doing some of that math last night and when I eventually broke it down to that 15 cents per impression, that just sounds huge, a whole lot of money. I would love to get 15 cents impression for any of the work that that i do here and
1: i, that, I... That, that, that's from the that's from the attackers bragging right so you know how, how how accurate is that right we could we could sort of talk to some marketing people we know you know we can we can sort of see how that really checks out right but that's certainly what they were what they were saying for american folks that were were being redirected to these legitimate ad services
0: and i think even a tenth of that <laughs> one and a half cents would be probably an incredible rate as well because i saw some of the, the math that you did in the blog post based on that. And if this person is giving you accurate numbers, uh, it was close to $60 million that this person had made from the campaign, which is incredible. And you can certainly then see why this would be so valuable to them. I think the other thing that was interesting is attribution. You went a little bit into the attribution and I know uh, that you had something in there where uh, you did get more information specific about the person Uh, which I think you referred to law enforcement, but can you talk a little bit about some of the information that's public in the blog post about the attribution that you did?
1: Well, this just came from looking at the code base on the servers and just seeing comments about, you know, this being attributed to bendercrack.com. And when we dug around what that domain was, who that person was, it started to point towards an actor operating out of Columbia. So it seemed that a lot of the fingerprints were really in the comments on the on the server that was hosting these phishing attacks.
0: And you eventually referred somebody to law enforcement for this. Have you ever gotten any kind of follow-up as to whether law enforcement did anything with this?
1: We've just been in contact with various authorities, Interpol, FBI on this matter, uh, particularly the FBI. This is, of course, an international challenge, of course, because the group seems to be based out of Colombia but we have been in contact with various authorities about it.
0: And you touched on this a little bit already that these attackers uh, or person were trying to gather Facebook credentials when we saw f- partly for the purpose of ad impressions. Mm-hmm. Um, and you mentioned how they were also gathering credentials, because one of the things that I've often thought about is why go after somebody's Facebook credentials? And I can see it in here with the ad redirection. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about why somebody should care about their Facebook credentials and what kind of value there is? Because there's lots of times when I talk to people about some of these attacks, they're like, oh, nobody cares about me. I don't have anything of value. It's just my Facebook page. If somebody wants my Facebook credentials and go in and they they post as me and say things, I'm not really harmed. I'm not losing anything. That's different than my banking credentials. I don't want to lose money out of my bank account. So why do I care about my Facebook credentials being lost to a phishing campaign?
1: Well, we've talked about accessing your, your social network and what that means. And for the bad guys, they make out as bandits because they're able to spread this thing extremely successfully. As an individual, you have your reputation, you know, you're getting embarrassed because all your friends are getting your messages that, that you didn't actually send them folks really rely on the convenience of being able to sign into so many different services with single sign on products, you know, so Facebook and Microsoft are probably the two biggest ones, but I use, you know, 20 different services where I'm signing on with Facebook, right? Everything from designer apps, dating apps. I mean, like Facebook is plugged into, so Facebook credentials are plugged into so many different things. WhatsApp, of course, as well, you know, even on the uh, ransomware or malware side, you know, if you want to deliver a malicious payload to somebody uh, that you trust, um, or if a hacker wants to do that through using someone that they trust, it's very, very easy. It's it's really no different from email, right? Like when somebody accesses somebody's communications through whatever channel, they start to learn a lot about me and my relationships. They know my communication patterns. They know They know who I'm communicating with on a daily, weekly basis. So Facebook and WhatsApp, the amount of comms that are being done there compared to email is increasing all the time. So, you know, let's say that I'm talking to somebody on WhatsApp or a colleague, I'm often sharing attachments there. So if there's some kind of expectation that I share attachments on WhatsApp or Messenger or one of these services, it's very easy to deliver that payload. And there's also just the intel gathering component of things. I mean, a lot of these, a lot of this information is useful to somebody. Um, I mean, it might be somebody looking at an organization from the outside. It might be looking at the people that work at that organization, their contacts, their colleagues, what are they talking about? Um, You know, they're learning about my lifestyle. They're learning about context, right? So if you want to craft a more targeted attack, that intel gathering is very, very helpful. So there's a number of different reasons. I definitely would emphasize the single sign-on and the convenience of Facebook credentials for many, many different services. It's not just Facebook that we're talking about. It's a lot of different products and services.
0: Absolutely. And that was the thing that as you were talking right there, started setting off alarms in my head because I've had that same thought before, when you go to log into some site and it you know gives you the option for a username or a password and says, or log in with your Facebook credentials or your Google credentials. And if somebody has those, then they can start logging into all these other things that you might not even think of when you lose those credentials.
1: Yeah, that's right. I mean, these social networks are, you know, the next wave, like Web 3.0, there's going to be a whole economy. There's going to be cryptocurrencies. There's going to be different ways of exchange. There's going to be currencies that are attached to them, right? So, you know, one generation sees this as kind of your, your silly late night college images and videos. The next generation, it's actually where you're going to see a lot more commerce and economic activity.
0: So you mentioned in this blog article that you saw this attack as part of your work with Pixum, What other types of things does Pixum do to protect people from these types of attacks?
1: Well, we're all about prevention at the last line of defense. So when you click on that link, our software runs in the browser to block it. And the nice thing about being in the browser, instead of say the email gateway, which traditionally how this problem has been solved, or maybe with training is that all clicks lead to the browser, at least when we're talking about credential phishing. So this is just one of, of many different examples. I mean, we're stopping phishing attacks every day for our end users. And because we, we stop it there in the browser with computer vision, we get all kinds of telemetry, not just about the attacker tools that are using, but just what is, the, what is the end user experience, right? So last week we stopped a Coinbase uh, phishing attack, somebody trying to phish credentials and one-time passwords even for somebody's Coinbase account. You know? So a lot of folks you know, around my age are putting a lot of their net worth into Bitcoin and Ethereum and things like that. Um, they're doing it through these ex- through these exchanges. And, you know, a lot of these don't have the same kind of controls and, of course, regulations as traditional uh, banks do and authentication procedures. So it's very difficult to recover when somebody accesses that account and then transfers all of your coin somewhere else. But, you know, even the stuff that's coming in through email and getting missed by the email gateway, we see spear phishing attacks that are targeting pharmaceutical companies, aerospace companies. We stopped a power grid phishing attack on September 11th last year um because we actually see this browser-based telemetry we can see those spear phishing indicators so like you know this is being targeted to patrick at powergridcompany.com right we'll see that information we're like oh wait these users are working at these infrastructure companies are being targeted so we're protecting people from phishing attacks that are coming through the typical email stack and just penetrating everything and we're also seeing all of these new phishing attacks coming in through linkedin coming in through whatsapp coming in through facebook that are getting clicked, opening credential pages in the browser. And our computer vision is just finding these web pages that look like Coinbase, Facebook, what have you, but they're coming from somewhere else. There's a lot of data like that. We could have a whole conversation about it. (laughs) 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 I'd love to see some of that data at some point.
0: That would be great. When you have these uh, anti-phishing solutions, are these like business solutions or can individual people also get your anti-phishing
1: solution for themselves? It's users and organizations. So you know our website, pixamsecurity.com, has a free plugin. You can install it in Chrome, Firefox, any major browser. We just recently launched our first mobile product that you can install on iOS. We also have easy to deploy solutions for enterprises. So if you're responsible for your organization's data, for its security, you can push this out to as many devices as you want. And you can see in one place, we have a SaaS product where you can actually see all of the phishing attacks that are getting clicked. your users. I mean, the good news is when they're getting clicked, they're getting blocked and stopped, right? It's not like, oh, you need to remediate the situation. It's telling you about the users that are at risk, but we would make this very easy for organizations and and administrators at, at, at enterprises to push us out and protect their users from phishing attacks as well. I think that's a great
0: point to add because in the phishing education industry, lots of times we hear that the users are the problem, users are going to click on anything. And then we try to push back on that a little bit that as the IT department, as the defense people, we need to have security in layers. We need to let people do their job and we need to try to help them to protect themselves. And and you just mentioned how even after they click, the defense is still there, that they are still being protected even after the click.
1: Yeah. No, that's exactly right. We're there at the last line of defense, removing human error to the extent possible. I mean, it's like when you learn to drive and you get a driver's license, you have to drive for 50 hours, you take a class, you uh, take a test, you have to pass a written test, you take, you know, all all this kind of stuff, right? And that's, all. of course, that's great. Seatbelts are also a good idea, right? But there's still X number of crashes a year. When you have you know, automatic uh, steering and you have kind of lane correction and you have alerts when you're when you're driving the wrong lane, stuff like that is extremely impactful, right? And of course, eventually we're going to have fully, fully autonomous cars, right? Is that going to be two years away, five years away, 10 years away? People debate that kind of thing. The browser is kind of like the car of the 21st century, right? It's the way people not just browse the internet, but it's also, you know, so many of the communication services that we use, so much of our business is done through the browser, right? So we're really seeing this as a similar kind of functionality, right? We're just doing so much important uh, you know, data transactions online, whether they're financial, whether they're communications or anything else. So you can think of us as that last line of defense. When you're veering into the wrong lane, you're clicking on something that you shouldn't. We're protecting people right there at that moment of maximum vulnerability.
0: When I do phishing engagements as part of my job, one of the things that I really like to do is to go and find or purchase a lookalike domain. So mm-hmm. for example, it's probably not available. Like, I might go get Uh, Facebook.com, which has one O and one zero. Is that something that your products can also detect and stop?
1: Oh yeah, no problem. I mean, anything that looks or resembles Facebook will be able to pick up and detect. Ultimately, this is an alignment issue, right? So a lot of users are not looking at the domain when they open a URL, particularly on mobile, right? The the form factor is so different. Um, You know, you're only going to see maybe the first several characters, right? And if you've got the same, if you see like face B, you know, you're like, oh, that's fine. That's Facebook, right? If the actual impression, if the actual page, the pixels, the actual image that the end user is seeing looks similar to Facebook, but it's not on an authorized domain. And that's true for PayPal, Coinbase, Microsoft, you name it, will protect any of those brands. We're going to be able to stop it for the end user, you know? So computer vision is software that can see just like humans can see. So this is the kind of software that's running, in Tesla vehicles, right? You got like eight cameras on these things and they're picking up pedestrians, roads, other cars, other vehicles. We're putting that software into the browser. So when you open a page that looks like Facebook, it could have a domain that's like, you know, F-A-C, like a face B, like 00K, something like that. It could be a domain that's totally different, right? It could be hosted on a legitimate domain that was breached itself, right? That has a very good reputation. We see that all the time. That this this attack was, was a key example of it. But if it actually presents itself like Facebook or Meta to the end user, we'll be able to pick it up and stop it in real time.
0: Lots of times I also see in smishing attacks where you don't even see the URL that you're actually going to. It might be a bit.ly link or some other kind of yeah. shortened link where that might be another way that people can be protected with this t- sort of thing as well.
1: Yep. Uh, redirects is a real common playbook. So it's not just using trusted domains. Uh, sometimes these trusted domains are web building services. Other times they're a jewelry shop or a school that got breached. But, it, you know, even if, if that fails, you know, you have these, these breached websites that are, that are hosting phishing attacks, but I can also just um, set up a redirect like, you know, a lot of these Facebook examples, they started on a page that looked otherwise totally benign. You know, they were uh, shopping websites, they were pet food websites. You wait for five seconds, then there's a redirect somewhere else, right? Oh, you need to sign in here in order to access this, right? So the redirect path is, is a very common thing. So by kind of working there in the browser, that's analyzing what the actual end users opening or seeing, you, you kind of are like, if you're playing chess against the bad guy, you're kind of pretty close to checkmate at that point, right? Because at the end of the day, in order to steal credentials, I got to make an end user feel like they're seeing a legitimate page. So if you can follow that redirect chain and analyze whatever it is that the end user actually sees when they have to enter their credentials, you can always stop it there in real time. We have
0: a couple big conferences coming up in the next few weeks. Are you or Pixum going to be at any of the upcoming Vegas conferences? Can people find you there?
1: We will be at Vegas at Black Hat and at Def Con. We have a party that we're sponsoring at Black Hat. I can follow up with more information about that. And we're also going to be giving talks about this exact phishing campaign at Black at a, sorry at Def Con.
0: And do you have any other research that is coming up or has come up that you'd be willing to talk about, or anything else that you want to tell the listeners about?
1: We have another blog post that's coming up about the Coinbase phishing activity that we've been, we've been stopping. Uh, this has been a very hot topic is you know, we've seen a lot of phishing activity, uh, you know, phishing people's credentials on, on Coinbase and other exchanges. We've seen a lot of examples of social engineering that's kind of bonding with romantic partners on these dating apps, and then also invet- getting them to invest in fake uh, exchanges. That are impersonating Coinbase and other, other exchanges. So we have a very exciting blog post that's talking about that. I would just say for your listeners, um, you know, if there's one thing to I want to leave them with, it's that most of the phishing activity that we stop is outside of email. It's coming in through social media platforms. So the industry, to the industry, phishing is synonymous with email. So we're really trying to break that paradigm and just get folks to remember that most of business communications and just in general are, are happening outside of email. And the, the social engineering and the attack opportunities are, are following that trend. Um, most of the phishing attacks that we stop are coming in from Facebook, from LinkedIn, and from WhatsApp. So the attack landscape is, is changing. So it's important. I, if people remember one thing from this talk, it's important to remember that. One of the things that I
0: often ask last in these episodes is a pretty vague question. So let me throw this one out to you. If somebody doesn't know much about it and they came to you and had basically just heard uh, that phishing is bad, phishing is uh, scary, how can I protect myself best from phishing attacks?
1: The no-brainer there is two-factor authentication, obviously, so make sure that you have two-factor set up with all of your sensitive digital assets. It's important also just to know that the adversaries are always adapting and sometimes they're very well resourced. So I would say always be looking to invest in the next generation of tools, leveraging AI, machine learning, computer vision to protect yourself so that we're all one step ahead of the adversaries. Most phishing activities coming in through social media beyond the inbox. So make sure you're prepared for it.
0: Chris Cleveland, the founder and CEO of Pick Some Security. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Layer 8 Podcast.
1: Yeah, Patrick, it was a pleasure. Thanks for having me.